Chapter Two of Quiet Hints to Growing Preachers in My Study. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Quiet Hints to Growing Preachers in My Study by Charles Edward Jefferson. Chapter Two: A Mirror for Ministers. Probably no other man in the town is subjected to such a constant stream of criticism as the minister, and possibly no other man profits so little by criticism as he. This is not because of the rhinoceros quality of the ministerial skin, but because the criticism does not reach him. Those who make the fiercest onslaughts on him get in their best work while he is not in sight. Even the glib-tongued experts become silent on his approach. Other men are censured to their face. The tough meat sold by the butcher brings an immediate and audible response. The merchant who sells unsatisfactory goods must take the condemnation which is sure to come. If the editor offends in a word or deed, the next mail brings him condemning letters. The mechanic who scamps his work is promptly overhauled. The servant who shirks his duties is reprimanded or dismissed. But who is bold enough to face a clergyman and tell him of his sins? There's such a divinity doth hedge a king that treason can but peep to what it would. And there is such divinity doth hedge a preacher, that dissatisfaction dares but whisper what it feels. Outside the hedge disapprobation makes wry faces, and detraction does its deadly work, while within the hedge the minister lives on in ignorance of his critic's strictures, untouched by what the parish thinks and says. Disgruntled men sputter at the Sunday dinner-table in the presence of their children, and women in diverse places drop acidulated observations. But, alas, the man who ought to be helped by this discriminating wisdom is left to flounder in the morass into which he has fallen, and dies at last in his sins. If, perchance, someone ventures to call the minister's attention to any one of his shortcomings, it is seldom done in such a way as to bring the needed help. A caustic cavil or poisoned fling is tucked into an envelope and sent to him unsigned, and the good man who has been told to pay no attention to anonymous letters tosses it promptly into the wastebasket unread. An anonymous letter has little healing in its wings. But there are occasional mortals bold enough to meet the preacher face to face. There are, in almost every congregation, two or three keen-eyed individuals who are determined at all hazards to be faithful. But these persons are generally as disagreeable as they are faithful, and in their work of pulling motes their awkwardness is so exasperating as to lead the unhappy minister to consider them not ministering angels, but new incarnations of that spirit of evil against which the Christian warrior must learn to stand. The ordinary self-appointed critic of ministerial character and conduct undoubtedly has a place in God's plan of creation but what it is has not yet been definitely ascertained. But if the anonymous bloodhounds and the professional fault-finders are useless in the work of redemption, how is a minister to be saved? Shall some sweet, sane saint call the pastor aside and tell him gently of his sins? Possibly yes, but it is a hazardous undertaking, as many a saint has long ago discovered. A minister, like other mortals, is human, and whenever pricked, he bleeds. Even the best men, when censured, writhe and tingle, and sometimes smart for many days. The smarting may generate, even in a pious heart, a feeling of resentment, or at least of suspiciousness, 
so that forever afterward the relations between the pastor and his critic are not what they were. Any minister who has ever talked plainly to a parishioner concerning his shortcomings knows that always afterward that talk has loomed up between them like a Chinese wall, giving each of them a sense of separation which could not be obliterated. The relations between a pastor and his people are so delicate that like the finest porcelain they cannot be broken and ever be the same again. They may be mended, but there is always a consciousness of the existence of the crack. Laymen who have ventured to give their pastor from time to time quiet hints know how delicate and critical such business is. As a rule they do not pursue it far, finding relief henceforth in an interior protest against that which they do not like, and endeavoring to remember the apostolic injunction, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, and not to please ourselves. If the improprieties and delinquencies are too numerous and flagrant to render protracted endurance a virtue, the church committee sometimes acts as a tribunal before which the offending pastor is summoned. But this usually marks the beginning of the end. It brands the minister in the eyes of the congregation as a culprit, and when once a minister's reputation for good sense or fine taste is tarnished, he has already entered upon that downward road which leads to the dissolution of the pastoral relation. It is for this reason that church committees are loath to censure their minister unless driven to it by repeated indiscretions and blunderings which cry aloud for redress. What then is a church to do? Brethren, it is a serious question. Many of us clergymen do not realize how serious it is. A congregation is at the mercy of a man who, although a minister, may have poor judgment, bad taste, a coarse nature, a blunted conscience, and a fatal gift for saying and doing the wrong thing. He may have pulpit manners which are abominable, and mannerisms which are constant subtractions from his power. He may have constitutional ailments and temperamental deformities which might be reduced or cured by a course of patient treatment, but of whose existence he himself is apparently unconscious. He may be guilty of conduct which, though not positively sinful, is unbecoming in a man of God. Because of spiritual obtuseness he may persist in courses of action which are so flagrantly unchristian as to cause the unbelieving to blaspheme. He may become the slave of any one of a thousand hateful habits, and so difficult is it to rescue him from these tyrants. One sometimes wishes that all the ministers of Christendom could be gathered at stated intervals into spiritual hospitals especially provided for the purpose, in order that every man might be critically dissected by men not afraid to lay their finger upon every blemish and excrescence and able to burn afresh upon every heart the loftiest ideals of ministerial character and service. A Mirror for Magistrates is the suggestive title of a book long famous in English literature. Why should there not be a mirror for ministers? End of chapter 2